Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,283 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world, the world's most authoritative source of unauthoritativeness since 2007. I'm Andy Zoltzman, it is the 1st of December 2023, and we are just one more than averagely long month away now from this absolute shithead of a year being rightly terminated. And to assess where we are at this, uh, at this precise point in human history, I have a most excellent pair of co-hosts with me today. If you had told me 40 years ago <laughs> that I would in four decades' time be sitting in a windowless room in London about to record a podcast with Felicity Warden Stuart Lee, I would have responded, what, what are you talking about? But such is life. That is exactly what's happening Right here, right now. Welcome back. Thank um, you. Thank you. Arguably, you would have said, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> 40 and, years ago. <laughs> and what is a podcast? Well, exactly. Yes. And then you because like, the actual, yeah. even, th- I, I've never actually listened to a podcast. <laughs> I, don't really, oh, I don't really, I don't really understand. And people right. keep saying, I, 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 I lie, actually. I listened yeah. to some that I was on when yeah. I was promoting a film, and I listened to them, I went on them, so I listened to them before so they were, but I don't, I'm not one of these people that, people will go running with mm. them on, don't they? Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> always get recommendations from other people I'm like right gotta to listen to other ones yeah. people give me these recommendations I put I listen to one episode I'm like not for me I always just listen to This American Life oh yeah I, I love it it's the only one consistently there's one that I can't say it's called The Bugle or something I don't I don't I don't but it's a lot of blah 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 I'm yeah. smart I'm English you know and it wears I'm, I'm not, smart I'm English is how you yeah, characterise yeah, all yeah. podcasts no no just The Bugle <laughs> alright <laughs> Have no. you ever thought about calling it the Buggle? I just thought it'd be cute. Yeah, yeah. The Buggle. It could be presented by you and one of the Buggles. Yeah, I mean, Alan Horn could do it. <laughs> Is he the Buggle the... something? Oh yeah, they were a band for. Uh, for... <laughs> they were a sort of new wave band. Of course they but were. They were. They were so technical that they became yes, the prog rock band. What? Really? Yes, co-opted them and into into a version of yes, basically. Right. And Ooh. then yes started to sound like a, a new romantic band for a bit. It's like when you have um, twins and one eats the other one <laughs> in the like womb. We've yes, at the Buggles. Where haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> you must know Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah. That was the Buggles. And what oh, yeah, is, of course it was. One, one member of the Buggles is presumably a Buggle. Right. But it's spelt with two Gs. I mean, I think we need to just wrap the podcast up here. <laughs> I don't think we're going to blow any more minds yeah. after that I little fact. Covered all we right, need to cover. Wasn't he? Video did kill the radio star. Yeah, yeah. he knew what it. Would he have made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the rebirth of the radio star. Oh yeah, it, it is in an unli- in an yeah. unlicensed frontier. A young man, and and Andrew O'Neill was explaining this to me the other day yeah. that the podcast has managed to make massive stars of people yeah. that mm. we don't consider of any value. Yeah. <laughs> If you think about it, the podcast is actually the Easter of radio. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the rebirth. It's the coming back from the dead. Right. Look, I don't know if that'll make the cut. Okay, no, um, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, Easter's. Yeah. Well, it might have done, but it's, it's Christmas is coming up. Christmas oh, is no. coming up. To be fair. Yeah, you don't. It's wanna, confusing. You don't want to cross the. They've banned Easter anyway, haven't they? The, oh, they? the woke mob. Yeah, they banned. Well, they because they'd already banned Christmas. They've banned so Christmas. They banned Easter. And it's just be f- Pentecost next, won't it? Nothing, <laughs> and Shrove Tuesday. Yeah, it's there nothing sacred anymore. Literally, it's, it's going to be three hundred and sixty days of Ramadan. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> Ironically, shoving it down our throats. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I think we're nearly ready to start the show. Yeah. Oh, we go. We are recording on the 1st of December uh, 2023. On this day in 1878, 
Rutherford B. Hayes became the first American president to have a telephone in the White House. Uh, which was, must have been very, I don't know who... Who would you, who, who's their phone? I don't know. I mean, it must have been tricky, though, isn't it? You know, wanting to have high-level diplomatic calls, but maybe, you know, there was no no other country had a telephone at the yeah. time. Really. It's a bit like when CB radio came out. <laughs> You'd talk to anyone. Just doing Morse code with herself. <laughs> yeah. Just on the hang-up. Um, according to his Wikipedia page, The Fount of All Truth, Rutherford B. Hayes believed, quotes, that education was the best way to heal the rifts in American society which sounds absurd from a more advanced modern perspective. But some people did actually think this at the time. We now know, of course, that to heal the rifts in American society, what you need is guns, opioids, vitriol and stone-cold crazy TV stations. But we can forgive his naivety. He'd only just got a phone. Um, uh, As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, This week, well, a countdown to Christmas. It's the 1st of December. Have you got advent calendars? I don't, but I will. You're right. I might buy one today. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get one. Right. I'll get one. Yeah, and um, and, a, and a Christmas tree. Right. Although my my kids think you should, they think it's wrong to get one before about the fourteenth. Right. What? I like to get one really early. Yeah, of course. And also, on when I'm on tour, and if I go to York or St Albans, places like that, I was going that the Christmas shop place, mm. and I buy a, a a figure of from local history in a kind of embro- embroidered kind of stuffed figure that you hang on the. Things so I've got like St Alban and I've got some bloke Harold from Hastings. Where I've got all the <laughs> not Harold from Neighbours. <laughs> that Harold is a different. I've got all the different kings and things. I hang them on it. And and last year I went to an exhibition of folk horror at the uh, at the Somerset House Gallery, and I've got folk horror ornaments from the Wicker Man and things like that. Your tree, tree yeah. must be heaving. It is, and it's only very small as well. <laughs> but, um, if you, you, know. you can't see the tree. No, but I, 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 that's, that's one of the things I do to keep myself sane on the right. road. Could go harvest Christmas ornaments. Right. From different <laughs> Ironically, it makes you look mental. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, St Alban. Yeah. I mean, was all our classic. What, so. what did he do? St Alban. Oh, he's killed by the Romans. Most most British saints, their main thing was that they were killed by the Romans. Oh right, okay. <laughs> or the Vikings. Right. So he didn't sa- he didn't stand for anything. Do you no, know? He, he didn't stand for anything. I mean, no. he barely stood for Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Henry VIII killed a couple as well. Oh yeah. Saint Edmund yeah. Campion Day today, of course. I'm sure you're all celebrating it later. Oh right. Someone went to Catholic school. <laughs> Hello. Well, there's a number of different Saint Edmunds. That's the problem. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's hard yeah, to brand yourself. You're not venerating the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you hate that? <laughs> it's Jimmy Savile all over again. <laughs> yeah. I'm Actually, the, the, the main St Edmund, his head was cut off by the Vikings, which meant that he couldn't be buried whole, which meant he wouldn't go to heaven. Oh. But then a dog, the head, <laughs> stayed alive and shouted, help Ouch. me, I'm a head. <laughs> and then a wolf came and got it and right. carried it and put it with the body. Right, that, this is a lesson in how history used to be written. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have as our section in the bin uh, this week a Bugle Advent calendar. This year, each day of December, we will give you for free a line for a modern-day parable for you to try to write the kind of routines that made Jesus, star of the first Christmas, the first ever arena comic, selling out 5,000-seat <laughs> venues, albeit ones without a catering licence in his heyday. Uh, for the 1st of December, in your Bugle Advent Calendar of Wisdom, do not blame the breakdancing tortoise. It spins not for the joy of the groove. Uh, for, the, for the 2nd of December, for a person without hope is like a pogo stick without footrests. Uh, the 3rd of December, uh, your, word of wisdom, your words of wisdom are, drink not from a snowman's corpse, lest ye too should melt unto dust. 
And uh, finally, for the 4th of December, uh, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a rich man to live in tax exile in the Cayman Islands and own some yachts. So uh, do work those into your uh, Advent parables, and we will have more through the rest uh, of December. Also, in the bin this week, a special Christmas music section. Now, Stuart, I know a big part of your life is... Is, is music? What's your view generally on on Christmas music as a? I, as a did genre? you know that I was involved in a Christmas number one? Were you? Yeah, no one knows, which gives you an indication of the failure of um, of the of like the, the charts success. to penetrate. <laughs> well, enough success. Yeah, I, well, my a routine of mine was so heavily sampled into basically the vocal line of a song called "Coming Over Here" by Asian Dub Foundation, and we gave all the profits to Kent Refugee Action Network, and it was a Christmas no New Year number one. About uh, two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, in the in uh, downloads and uh, sales, physical sales, but not in um, not in streaming because at streaming, Nan just sits in the kitchen with Wham Last Christmas on the loop <laughs> forever. But, when you um, say Nan, do you mean me? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> probably me. So, um, and there's a re- there's a really good twelve uh, inch of remixes where they took l- loads of other bits of the routine and chopped it all up. All right, but I'm very excited. I, and it, yeah, and uh, there's a quite embarrassing video where I look. I look like one of those p- people that used to be in punk bands who've now got diabetes, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> with some like really cool blokes playing right. behind me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and is it played at a lot of Christmas office party discussions? No, it isn't. Right. It's not played at all. <laughs> any Christmas party. But yeah, but it's really funny actually. I was telling someone the other day that I had a Christmas number one, and if you say that to someone. And they've not. Heard, they think you must have gone mad. You go, yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a Christmas number one. Actually, it's like when people go, oh, "I used to be the king of Spain." Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely deranged, isn't it? Like, You're the guy on the bus now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're the guy on the bus. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we review this week's uh, this, this year's big uh, potential Christmas hits, including "Little Badonka Donkey," <laughs> an AI crossover duet between the late post-war British megastar songstressina Gracie Fields, who hit the charts in 1959 with Eric Boswell's famous donkey exploitation ditty, "Little Donkey." And the contractually behatted six foot six inch, six foot six inch country star Trace Adkins, whose 2005 hit Honky Tonk Badonkadonk, is widely credited by historians as setting Western civilization back 1500 years. <laughs> um, uh, also, we look at a specially remixed Christmas Christmas themed version of the Velvet Underground's "I'm Waiting for the Man." Um, we are, as I said, first of December in, uh, on Little Loose Christmas list, or will his reindeers get hold of it again? Twenty six. That is a good price <laughs> in this economy. That's quite. <laughs> song. Also, uh, we review uh, What Is That Screaming Woman Doing In My F***ing Brand New Manger by Ian the Innkeeper, (laughs) featuring the hygiene inspectors. And 50 years after they almost topped the Christmas charts, 1970s British glam rockers Wizard are back with I'm Quite Happy With It Being Christmas Once A Year, a sober and reflective reassessment of their economically naive and socially divisive (laughs) 1973 number four hit, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. You're like the Grinch. (laughs) Yeah. What's wrong with Wizards? It's nice, that is. No, well, you po- save your ire for the Tories. <laughs> leave, leave Birmingham's glam rock sensations alone. <laughs> well, they finally accepted that 365 public holidays a year would leave mountains, Himalayas of debt even, for future generations. Mm, whilst the just what a capitalist would say. The relentless promotion of Christmas would marginalise other religious festivals, stoking tensions at a time when the world needs compromise between faiths, not inflexible dogma. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's a good listen, not as catchy as the original, but far more socially responsible. Uh, that section, in the bin. <laughs> Top story now! 
Um, well, uh, the environment is being fixed. As we speak, uh, the world's leaders are meeting in Dubai at COP28, the environmental conference super franchise that just keeps churning out sequels year after year, even when they become derivative, unoriginal, unambitious and pointless, as is generally the way with sequels. Um, um, I know you're both massive fans of global environmental conferences. Are you, uh, are you particularly enjoying, uh, enjoying this one, Felicity? Yeah, this is a good one, isn't it? This is an absolute beauty. Um, as you know, the president is also the CEO of an oil company. Is that have yeah. I got my details right on that one? Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and uh, there are there are um, accusations of oil deals being struck, but he is saying that that is not happening now. If they are happening. That is gaslighting. And at this level, absolutely unacceptable. Now, if this gaslighting was solar-powered, <laughs> then absolutely they right, could okay. go through. It's the unsustainability yeah. of the manipulation that I don't agree with. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that um, this man, who is uh, chair of UEA's National Oil Company, ADNOC, it's possible that he could chair a conference ultimately fixed on the eradication of his own company's main product. It's possible. But, um, <laughs> this is how I do this if I was on telly. But it's a bit like asking Colonel Sanders to chair a conference on making the whole world vegan. <laughs> or, I've got another version of it. It's a bit like asking Ronald McDonald to be the mascot for the International Cow Methane Reduction Day. <laughs> and, uh, which, and then, or, but this is niche, but some people really like it. It's a bit like asking Ted Nugent to compose a song for international don't fly around in a helicopter shooting wild pigs with a machine gun day. <laughs> Which, and mo most people won't know who he is or that he did that. But the people that did know that will think that's great. I yeah, think even nuts. if they don't, the image of Ted, of anyone called Ted Nugent in a <laughs> yeah. helicopter shooting wild pigs, great. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, it's a good image, but will it shame Sultan Al Jabba into. <laughs> Into not um, right. doing oil deals at the anti-oil conference. Yes. I should point out that he's uh, he's from the UAE, not the UEA, which is the University of East Anglia. <laughs> oh, oh God, that's why I was so baffled by this story. <laughs> I mean, I know that standards have slipped in education <laughs> yeah. and that it's basically up for grabs and run as a commercial business. Yeah. But I thought Sultan <laughs> Al-Jabba had taken over the University of East Anglia, probably explaining the reduction in funds of its famous English <laughs> literature department, <laughs> and was converting it into uh, a, 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 a thing based on the ownership and acquisition of uh, climate-unfriendly energy companies. Right. Now I realise the seven pages I've written about that <laughs> are completely irrelevant. Yeah, so this is the 28th COP, um, and you know, we're all familiar with good COP, bad COP. When we're now reaching hypocritical COP, belated and ineffective COP, half-assed promises COP, and COP, who we're pretty sure was a fair, uh, very well-known criminal until very, very recently, which seems to be the one that we're uh, in the middle of. Now, I guess, I mean, in a way, I mean, holding it in Dubai is... Bold? Yeah. I mean, it's I guess, you know... It's just awful, isn't it? Holding a conference about how to slightly mitigate the impact of the end of everything in a city that is a metaphor for the excessive and costs of our oil-addicted global economic system is almost, I mean, it's almost waspishly appropriate, is it not? Mm -hmm. you know, can you, I mean, is there a better place to hold a conference that is guaranteed to fail? You're right. I think that it, it's like when you, would you prefer to call someone racist after they behave racistly and then go, I'm not a racist? Or would you prefer them to say, yes, I am a racist? I just think if, you know, it is going to fail. No one's going to agree. It's going to achieve nothing. Uh, hundreds of people are going to catch planes to get there emitting 
so much pollution into the air, probably negating anything that they agree. So why not have it in the UAE? Yeah. Why not? This is the kind of thing that, I mean, you know, every other week I write I write a, a column for the Observer about the news. And um, sometimes when David Mitchell's extra busy being in a play, I have to write loads in a row. <laughs> and by the end of about 10 weeks, I mean, I don't know how you do this, because this, this kind of news, trying to think up jokes about it, it makes me so depressed <laughs> to having to deal with it and to having to read it. And, and I mean, it's just, it's so awful. I don't know how anyone involved can not be so ashamed of themselves that they just kill themselves. It's just absolutely... <laughs> horrendous isn't it and um it's it's that that's why the young people feel utterly let down and are chaining themselves to bridges because it's like a it's just a smack in the face isn't it to everyone it's just it's just absolutely obscene and but and, and in fact talking christmas number ones i was i did a i did a benefit for uh just stop oil the other day uh because i'm like a terrorist basically <laughs> and, um, <laughs> But a young woman who cried on the bridge was there. Right. Remember, she was ridiculed for crying on a bridge. Yeah. She chained herself to a bridge and then cried. And um, and all the papers go, oh, look at that young woman crying on a bridge. Basically, if you're not chained to a bridge crying, you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should be chained to some sort of structure emitting fluids from some orifice <laughs> at this point. Um, but she's aiming for a Christmas number one. Right. <laughs> yeah, in fact, she's done... Uh, she's really stuck it back to them in a really unselfconscious way, where she's made a video of, uh, which includes footage and samples of her crying on the bridge, which is the thing they all thought was ridiculous. What's her name? I'll write it down. Louise. Uh, while you're speaking. doing that, Stu, yeah. half an hour ago, yeah. I wrote this while trying to write jokes. I wrote, Do you know, Andy? I love doing this show. I love hanging out, love making gags and jokes with you. But I find satire hard, and it literally only occurred to me today, it's because it's all so f***ing depressing, isn't it? (laughs) Like, we make jokes about these corrupt politicians ruining our waterways, and aren't we smart for noticing and bringing it up? But geez, at the bottom of it all, it's just sad. We watch our literal life source be tampered with by the appointment of people who do not think they'll ever be affected and could not give a shit about the people who will. Uh, yeah, well, yep. there you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're yeah. of course. I wrote exactly the same thing. Exactly right. Yeah. It's it's uh, Louise Harris, and 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 her song, saying uh, called "We Tried" is now number two in iTunes really? downloads. Which again, you'd think would be news, wouldn't you? But because it's because of who it is, it's just they just won't get covered except in a derogatory way by Sarah Vine, uh, the, the, the the Daily Mail. Yeah. But she's number two, and what what I said to her when I met her was I went. Oh, um, I had a Christmas number one, actually. And she went, who are you? And obviously you didn't oh. because of her. But I said, you need to try and concentrate all the sales in. But actually, it's number two anyway. And that's without the advice. That's bef- even without my advice right, as, as a, a former yeah, Christmas number one. <laughs> so that, that means lo- like loads of people don't think it's ridiculous that she cried on a gantry above the M25. So that's what yeah. she, she calls herself. She goes, I'm the girl who cried on the gantry above the M25. There's one of the things about... The just stop oil lot is they kind of don't, they don't, they're so believe it, they don't realise how they can, they make themselves sitting targets for Sarah Vine type columnists by crying on gantries, but they have every right to do that, you know, and um, so she's owned it, and you can buy a record of her crying on a gantry set to a kind of r- reasonably nice sort of pop song. About well, what you've got they- there is you've got, you've got um, how media is consumed. So, yeah. Written media in newspapers, that's been consumed by older people yeah. like us. And we get outraged. 
younger people are online. Younger people are streaming music. Younger people are downloading music. Yeah. Um, that's how they're consuming their news yeah. uh, all online. So it, it's just, you know, the people that read papers will be dead soon. Yeah, so actually, although we <laughs> I mean, both, we all will. <laughs> yeah, although we've both expressed very depressing thoughts about even, about the cruelty of Andy asking us to even try and write jokes about this He's story, a real prick. Is, that, um, fair, fair. You, what you're saying is young people... They're, they're getting different information from different sources and they feel differently about this. They're and maybe hopeful, they're like activated, they're yeah. motivated. Yeah. I, I have nothing but faith in Gen Z. I think they're extraordinary. They're taken to the streets. They're protesting all the time. They put, you know, they put their bodies on the line. Yeah. We, it's very easy to, in our, our heated middle-class homes, to go, oh, look at, oh, they're, you know, if they wanted to, um, they're not getting their message to the right people. It's like, you yeah they well they when, are clearly yeah they are yeah, yeah. They, it's to each other yeah. and they will grow and they will grow and they will grow and they will keep uh recruiting younger people and younger people and we will be phased out and i don't care if i'm if they even go you're probably a boomer i mean i'm the last generation of gen x i'm nearly a millennial <laughs> but if they want to write me off i would rather be written off and watch them grow in their strength and their hope than have any of us have anything to do with it. Do you think that's the most positive thing anyone's ever said on this normally quite cynical program? Uh, I think it might be, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes very much against the the, well, the branding of this show, I'm which sorry. is that the hopes of the young should be crushed. I'm not. on antidepressants, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it is... And, yeah, having my, my kids are, are teenagers, yours are about, about, about the same. And there, there's an element of where, where you, you want to expose them to the news but also protect them... Mm. from it because it is so sort of unremittingly awful about about the field and it has sort of reached a bizarre point as a parent where you know i've recently i found my uh, my son my younger younger child um alone in his bedroom uh selling illegal weaponry on the dark web mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. i hate that when they do that and um i thought well at least he's not listening to the today program on radio 4 i thought you know that's you know that's now better so. <laughs> yeah. yeah he consumes news yeah. differently yeah. online you know Objectively, we are a loss-making planet. Yeah. So, you know, long-term, de- destroying everything on it might actually make sound economic sense. Well, it doesn't need to be loss-making. I don't right. want to jump ahead because I know you've got an order for these stories. But there's, <laughs> I mean, but, we're, but, we're on the first story. Well, I know, but the axolotl, right? Oh, yeah. He's got, he's got, he wants to talk about this campaign to yeah. save the axolotl, which is a... Um, a th- lizard in amphibian thing in a le- in a lake in Mexico. Mexican walking y- fish. Yeah, Mexico. Now, now, twenty years ago there were six thousand of them. Now there's thirty six, right, in that lake, right. But they're really popular because one of them was in Minecraft, so people really like them. But the problem that that axolotl has got, this is why that why nature is loss making, yeah. is no one owns it as a brand or represents right. it. Mm. So its image gets used everywhere by Minecraft. If it was a character in Minecraft, it would. Be earning loads of money for nature. Yeah. So basically, things from the natural world need to have representation. Ideally, by Avalon. <laughs> we get very tough deals for them, as well, you I know. I can see that. I mean, so I mean, well, maybe we should talk about the axolotl. But then, but then, yeah. see, na- nature's things from nature are used all the time to make money, but they don't get any money. Like Disney has got Donald Duck. Do ducks get any money from right. that? No. It's got Mickey Mouse. Do mice get any money from that? It's got Goofy. <laughs> Do goofies get any money? <laughs> Where they are? No, right. But, and, it, and so it's sort of, it's kind of we kind of forget that we we do monetize it all the time, but yeah. it doesn't. But rather like people that write for Marvel Comics, it doesn't get any money from 
the characters. I think the problem is actually with, if the, you know, they're trying to start a campaign in Mexico where they ask people to virtually adopt axolotls. And I hope it is not a visual campaign. Axolotls are one of the single ugliest animals on the planet. Okay, look, I'm, I'm going to just have to jump in here because, I mean, the axolotl unquestionably has a distinctive vibe, particularly the leukistic axolotl, <laughs> which is a rather pasty-faced creature. They're all pasty-faced. Kind of plumpish, jowly face with weird, sticky-out gills around mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. sides of its head that makes it look like it's got fairly advanced axolotl pattern baldness. I would say that's a strong look for Lizard. <laughs> and I resent you suggesting that... <laughs> But it isn't. I <laughs> would describe them as, and I'm sorry if you take this personally, <laughs> an embalmed penis wearing a ruff. All right. Actually, that was my uh, online dating profile. <laughs> we had that was ac- his nickname at school. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just the teachers that him that. <laughs> hey. well, he's not out of Birmingham Glee yet. <laughs> Um, we had we had an axolotl as a pet. Right. Did you? Of course we did. In Australia? Yeah. Really? They're deeply unusual family. Right. Um, how you feed an axolotl, one, every day you assume they're dead. They look dead and they don't move. And then they move and you're like, oh, God, oh, no, okay, they're not dead. What you do is you cut off a tiny bit of liver and you stick it on a wooden skewer and then you lower it down next to their mouth and they stay very still and then eventually they go, <laughs> and that... It wow. is terrifying. Oh what a relief God. when ours died. Yeah, yeah. An absolute <laughs> relief. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's monstrous, oh, the thought of that. They are prehistoric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, they're so ugly. Because people are asking them to adopt them. They won't yeah. get adopted because they're not attractive. Yeah. Well, they become more popular because they are now stars of, of Minecraft. Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not an axolotl, but I am adopted. And I can right. tell you <laughs> that... When I was a kid, I was given this book about being adopted to explain to me, so I always knew. It was called Mr. Fairweather and His Family by Sheila Katzinger, I think her name was. Anyway, it was very good. And there was a scene in it where the mum and dad go to a big room full of babies and a woman from the charity goes, do you want that one? And she goes, no, I don't think that's quite right for us. And then they will come back another time. And the next time they come back, she goes, we've got this one now. And they go, oh, that's more likely we'll have that one, right? <laughs> so I always thought I'd been... I thought that you were actively chosen, that, um, that you know, your, your adoptive parents would choose you over another baby. Like right? getting a mud crab at a Chinese restaurant, yes, picking exactly. it out of a fish, out of the fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my mum actually said that that wasn't the case, even though she'd given me this dishonest book, and that with the Church of England Children's Society, very good charity, it's called the Children's Society now, and I pay, pay them money, as, but, you know, obviously as I should. But they... Um, they uh, they just said, we've got one for you. Just take it or leave it. You have to have it. <laughs> so that's how you get rid of an axolotl. You basically put it in an amphibian. You could get any amphibian. Right. You might get a nice-looking <laughs> frog or something. But if you get the axolotl, right. you have to keep it. Okay. So because the thing with this, for it. with this adoption is you don't get the axolotl. You're no. sponsoring it. Yeah. And it, but, yeah, you buy it dinner, but no strings attached, apparently. On it, and that's just pure, just <laughs> you don't dinner. have to f*** them you, afterwards. You get, is that so, what you're saying, it? Um... Axel Rose, that was short for axolotl. Do you know? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fact. An anagram of it. <laughs> just, just, just an abbreviation. Oh, right. It's got a little in the middle. Axolotl um, Rose was his real name. <laughs> his middle name was Lotl. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's been a tough third millennium for axolotls um, because... Uh, 
I mean, and it's brought a lot of it on, on itself, the Mexico-based amphibious evolutionary quirkster. It can't be asked to grow up, um, it, so it doesn't ever get rid of its gills like proper amphibians do. Um, the uh, And it's got this permanent smirk, so it's been... So basically it just looks all the time... You're like saying it's, it's insolent. ...like it's sardonically grinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe mm. taking a sideways look at the news in the lake that it lives in in Mexico. Um <laughs> Um, so presumably just annoyed the other creatures that would then eat them to teach them a lesson. Um, also, the destruction of their natural habitat over several hundred years doesn't help either. So, um, But it, interestingly, it's renowned for its sensational ability to regrow limbs and organs. The, the, did your pet, pet ever, did you, did, were you tempted to like chop its leg off and see if it grew back? I was tempted. Right. But I didn't do it. Right, that's I was very... tempted to chop its head off. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I didn't want to kill it. It was just a, a weird thing to have in your house, in a yeah. fish tank, always looking at you. Like a like a Mona Lisa right. with less artistic integrity. <laughs> there was a story, Stuart, that um, I know um, caught your eye because you've always wanted to be either the UK Environment Secretary or the spouse of the UK Environment Secretary. <laughs> and um, there's a, well, I mean, as you mentioned earlier on in the on in the show, this potential conflict of interest with the wife of Steve Barkley, who was. Um, I think you just have to say everyone is an interim now, interim yeah. environment secretary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it? Well, it's it's another thing of what we were just talking about earlier of, of the impossibility of trying to achieve anything about the environment when everything's so utterly corrupt. I mean, we know that um, the we're, in in Australia uh, uh, this week, um, uh, um, the argument against privatising uh, um, Australian water companies was made in Parliament by reference to what's happened here. They basically mm. said, if you want your rivers and sea to be just full of excrement <laughs> then do this because that's what's happened in britain we're now we're now an, you're an example you're we're world leaders of of of, of awful yeah. and you know and what's happened is everything was sold off to companies the companies um uh, maxed out everything they could borrow against the companies to give all their shareholders money now all the companies that own the uh, water in, in, in system are in masses of debt they haven't spent anything on infrastructure the uh, we've left the eu so there's no rules stopping them from um for, because of Brexit, there's no rules from uh, Brussels uh, about water quality or whatever. So it's completely, um, uh, you know, just out of control. And the, you know, the Brexit thing's interesting because there's now so much, um, so much uh, human excrement in the English Channel. There's a risk it would harden into a crust, and migrants will be able to walk over. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the um but the, 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 the so it's got to be you've got to do something about it. you've got to stop the water companies continuing to pay massive share dividends to their shareholders whilst not investing in the infrastructure and while it's cheaper for them to discharge sewage into the rivers than it is to pay the fines and one of the people that's responsible for this whole story the new environment secretary's wife is works for is on the board of Anglia Water that are being investigated for thousands of hours of sewage discharge. And he, as Environment Secretary, should be holding her to account, which is bizarre because that means his day job is to is to ask her to stop doing that. But then at night they go home, how was your day, dear? I investigated your company. How was yours? I tried to avoid being censured by your department. <laughs> it's absolutely idiotic. It's like having Batman married to the Joker, isn't it? Or um, it's as if, I've got another one, as if Dick Dastardly had been married to Yankee Doodle Pigeon, which is a bit niche. That's the word I always get there. But I just, I just think we need to put that out there, that no, no government can say they're serious about the international laughing stock of our pollution issue when the new environment secretary 
is married to the head of the, 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 those head of one of those companies that are doing it. They're not to be cooperated with. They've got to be held to account. Unfortunately, you know, it's it is a big business issue as well, which the Tories aren't good at handling. Well, it's just quite hard to monetize fishing turds out of rivers isn't it yeah yeah there's not, there's not really a way around that unless you can find that you can use them to fuel aircraft <laughs> in which case we've got a huge surplus here <laughs> if anyone can find any use for them well i like to think that we have like um a race to the bottom inspiration reciprocity agreement where we are using you as an example of what would happen if we privatise our um, waterways. And you have used our immigration system of shipping people off inhumanely to other countries um, where you tried to do that with Rwanda. And good on you for trying. Yeah. Um, and hopefully they stick with that very <laughs> useful, cheap, humane plan. Um, but I think it's... I think it's really yeah. sweet that the Commonwealths are looking at how we can get to the bottom. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Yeah. Uh, one final um, item of uh, of news. Uh, this uh, involves the uh, well interim Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, um, who's found another creative way of getting absolutely f- all useful done by <laughs> cancelling a meeting with another Prime Minister because of what that other Prime Minister said he would like to happen to some two-and-a-half-thousand-year-old bits of marble. Incredibly creative uh, from Sunak. This, uh, this um, regards the, uh, the Parthenon sculptures, uh, or, uh, which have been hiding in the British Museum, um, disguised as the Elgin marbles now, for over 200 years. Um, the Greek Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, was due to meet Sunak in London this week. Uh, last week, but Sunak cancelled at the last meeting because Mitsotakis had said that the Parthenon sculptures should be returned to Athens, where they allegedly um, were made uh, in part of the most influential period of uh, creative expression in uh, European civilization's history. I mean, he would say that, wouldn't he? He would. Um, so, I mean, the, the they did offer the Greek Prime Minister the consolation prize of a meeting with. Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden instead, but they... I mean, that is a serious f***ing burn. That <laughs> I mean, we had a... At home, we ordered a new fridge freezer this week and it couldn't be delivered and it was really annoying because they said they could deliver it and the they said they couldn't get it up the step to go in our back door. So we... I mean, that was pretty annoying, but at least the company responsible had the decency not to offer us a meeting with Oliver Dowden instead. So it wasn't... <laughs> Oliver Dowden should be allowed near anything to do with culture, right? When he was culture secretary, someone in an interview, I saw someone said to him, what's your favourite kind of theatre? And he said, commercial theatre. <laughs> like it's a genre. Like theatre that makes money right. is, is, oh. a, is a genre of, you know... Um, yeah, I mean it's a difficult situation. The uh, the path. I mean, obviously the, uh, the the. I I think they should go back to Greece because uh, the. Uh, I was reading about this uh, this French art thief, uh, Stefan Breitweiser, he's called, and um, he didn't he didn't sell he he, he stole um, two a billion pounds worth of art. Right from uh, and but he just kept it in his little nice little suburban house in his bedroom with his girlfriend and they used to like to wake up to the most beautiful things in the world. He had no idea and he couldn't sell it anyway because it was so hot the stuff he'd got. Yeah. But he but he basically that's kind of what we are, isn't it? <laughs> so in the Britain, British Museum, the kind of place went around the world just taking loads of stuff yeah. during a period where we felt that other people didn't really understand what they'd got. So but how are they going to get it back? That's the problem without causing a, di- a diplomatic row. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Right when I was a kid, one of my 
favourite books was um, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, and I bought it in 1980 in a rather nice edition from Panther with a, a paperback with a slightly spooky picture of a weird man on the front. And then I, uh, when I moved, every time I've moved, I've put all my Ray Bradbury paperbacks in a line, and I've realised it isn't there, and it really depressed me. And I tried to buy it, but that edition, I wanted the same edition that I'd read as a kid, but it wasn't anywhere, not even on eBay, so it must have been quite a short print run of that. Then, in 2000, about 18 months ago, I was at Josie Long's <gasps> in, in Glasgow, the comedian Josie Long, where she lives with Johnny from Johnny and the Baptist. And I saw a copy of it on the shelf there, and I realised, I remembered I had lent it to her in 2005 when I was touring with her. Right. And she never. And I, I thought, you know what, it's been really embarrassing if I go, is that mine? And you've still got it 17 years later. So I took it off the shelf when she wasn't there, looked inside. It had my 12-year-old writing and just put it in my bag. <laughs> I didn't want to cause a fuss. And that was the best thing to do. Right. And that's what Greece need to do. How just do you do somehow. that with 17 statues <laughs> made know. of marble? But, that, but she doesn't even know that I've done that. I mean, she'll know now. I hope she, she, is this. <laughs> I hope she listens. But that's what they've got to do. They've yeah. got to get them out. Because no one's, British people aren't going to notice they've gone, are they? No. <laughs> no one's interested in little, culture here. A little, um, little bit of chloroform on a cloth. Security yeah. guard. Yeah. Over the mouth. Backpack. Yeah. Very sturdy <laughs> backpack. <laughs> Break them down. <laughs> sure. And then reassemble them at the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a little song oh. that Rishi Sunak could sing. Okay. Um, I say Elgin Marbles. You say Parthenon Sculptures. <laughs> I say International Collections. You say Stolen Items. British Museum. <laughs> Greek History. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. Christmas number one. I've got Christmas number one written all Christmas over it. I hadn't one. followed that semantic issue. Is that what they they call them? We call them the Elgin Marbles after the man that stole them. <laughs> but they rightly call them after the, the place Parthenon they were from. Parthenon sculptures. Yeah, which yeah. is what they are. And they yeah. call them international collections here. We call them stolen items. Yeah, I yeah. say we like I'm Greek. Yeah, I'm absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. I'm married to a Greek family. Oh, right. Well, I don't think you should be allowed to comment on this. You've got your two bias. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's I am. Too I am it's too interesting that he would choose to make such a fuss about how we have to preserve this culture when every other aspect of the arts in Britain is being <laughs> underfunded, <laughs> destroyed and dismantled. Mm. Like, why is he suddenly giving... You know, like, we've smashed up the BBC. They tried to sell off Channel 4. They underfund all theatre. Everything gets pulled everywhere. You're pulling arts teaching out of schools. You, you have you having you know and and yet at the same time oh, we must keep those old sculptures that we stole off the Greeks. It's a, it's an attempt to create a culture war wedge issue as usual, isn't it? Yeah. Those bloody Greeks, they're trying to steal our Elgin marbles. <laughs> Only Lishy Sunak can be trusted <laughs> to keep <laughs> the Elgin marbles here. I mean, there are various arguments sort of put forward. Uh, for why we shouldn't give them back. Questions are posed such as, if you give the Parthenon sculptures back, where will it end? Uh, yeah. To which the answer mm. is, I guess, I don't know, it might end there. Each case is different. Uh, but this was a public artwork, as I said, one of the most influential creative periods in the history of European civilization, inextricably linked to its location. So even if, you're gen if you generally think stolen things should stay where the people who've stolen them have put them, as long as they were stolen a long time ago by a British person in a natty outfit. I think, the, I mean, the Elgin Marbles is quite a unique, um, it's a unique artwork. Uh, also, if Elgin hadn't filched the marbles in the first place, people say they'd be in a much worse state than they are now. And I guess the, the answer to that is if British people had tried to build the marbles 
two and a half thousand years ago when the Greeks built them, they'd have been a small earthenware pot with a crudely drawn <laughs> bison on it. Um, See, uh, when you talk about the Elgin marbles here, yep. you may as well be talking about Australia. <laughs> Just the whole country. You know, yeah. if we ha- if we hadn't stolen it and started a white colonisation, what what kind of society would you actually have? A better one? <laughs> Just better? One, one that was meant to be there? One that belonged there? Um, yeah, well, what you would have had is one where, which is, which is where the, the ecosystem had held together better. Oh, you know, I mean, it's interesting, perfectly. isn't it? Like, yeah, I am yeah. still astonished. Like, even... I, f- I feel like, and this might be wrong, even if you asked very right-wing, very racist Australian people, if you had to choose between a white person and an Aboriginal person from country, from the land, like from that part of Australia, that I, I think even them would say, I think the Aboriginal person would be able to maintain the land yeah, better. Yeah. I think, yeah. and I don't know why we don't push that harder at a governmental level. Having said that, we did just vote as a nation 60-something percent against (laughs) Aboriginal people even having a voice in Parliament, not even a binding voice, just (laughs) a voice, just a voice. Um, Amazing. The uh, other thing people say, well, more people visit the British Museum than visit the Acropolis Museum, which was built specially for the Parthenon Parthenon marbles. Uh, But if that was the only criterion, the British Museum would be giving them to the Louvre in Paris, which gets even more visitors than the British British Museum, Um, or possibly putting them on a pornographic website, which gets probably the most visitors (laughs) of any cultural institution uh, in the world. And some of them are absolutely f***ing filthy. Those Greeks were absolute animals. (laughs) They were filthy. Um, They absolutely loved it, didn't they? (laughs) But also, the stats on that, not everyone visiting the British Museum sees the Parthenon sculptures. I've never knowingly looked at them. Really? Yeah. But they're in quite a grey sort of room. So you think matter. they're camouflaged then? <laughs> <laughs> also, I don't want to sound like if I go there quite a lot and look at specific things, but yeah. that's not one of the things I've looked right. at. But also, you know, if you go to the British Museum, there's lots of stolen stuff you can look at, and you might go to see the Parthenon sculptures, you might, you might not. But if you go to the Acropolis Museum and you get to the room that these marbles will end up in at some point, and you think, I can't be arsed with this bit, then... You have to question what you're doing, not just in Athens, but out of wherever you live. So, mm, mm, mm. Um, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, can, we other... ju- can we just say, have you seen the front of the Greek newspaper, though? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. Seen oh, it's, it's just a picture of Sunak with something like, f*** off, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think I saved it. It's, uh, well, the maybe. old saying goes, I fear the Greeks, even when they're asking for what is rightfully theirs. There it is. That's the Greek newspaper, Greek national newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> picture of Sunak with Cube written on it. That is that, and the sewage is our international standard. That is not real. T-G-B. It is. <laughs> Cube bastard. The front of a Greek newspaper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I think, to be honest, ninety-nine point nine percent of all satire can be summarised in the words <laughs> "cube bastard." Yeah, they okay. absolutely. <laughs> Um, oh. Well, I think that's probably a good note to end on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you brighten, it's brightened my day. <laughs> it's worth it. Um, right, it's plugs time. Um, <laughs> the Bugle Live Tour is taking place in March, the 1st of March in Glasgow, 3rd of March in Norwich, the 9th in Cambridge, 10th in Birmingham, 16th at the Warwick Arts Centre, the 24th in Leeds, 28th in Edinburgh, and 30th of March in Salford. Buy your tickets to all of those 
instantly. Um, also, uh, if you want to join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme to help keep this show free, flourishing and independent, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Premium level voluntary subscribers not only get access to the new exclusive monthly Ask Andy show in which I uh, evade all your questions, but also the uh, forthcoming Bugle vinyl record, which we are recording uh, next week. Um, and, uh, well, hopefully... Uh, that'll also help us pay for Stuart's uh, rider of a hundred flasks of cabbage soup, which um, <laughs> I assume you're still used to have before every gig. Don't you? <laughs> I was well. Last, last time I toured with Andy in the early noughties, I was on a severe weight loss diet involving cabbage soup. My friend took cabbage soup in high school for her skin. She mm. drank a lot of cabbage water, right. and her farts stank, <laughs> and so loud. <laughs> So voluminous? Is that the word I want to use? Andy's just plugged all his work. What are you doing, Felicity? Okay. Um, my, I, I am actually going out to Australia next year for the festivals. I'm doing Gold Coast, Canberra, Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, I think Perth as well. I have no idea the dates. Uh, they're probably not even on my website. So just keep Googling over a time if you've heard your... <laughs> your city's name i'll be doing a show on the central coast next june i will have a show come out called the office on amazon prime um i don't know if it will come out before then uh and apart from that i'm just gigging around the uk i'm back on tour with uh basically until april i'm at glass square theater middle of december to middle of january and then i've got a benefit at the hackney empire for a homeless charity uh, on the first of february with uh rob bryden kevin eldon me athena kugbenu rosie holt fern brady on the top and celia ab good celia yeah celia ab yeah she's great uh, thank you for listening, uh, Bugles. We are off next week, but we'll be back with a couple more shows before Christmas. Until then, uh, we will have a, a sub-episode out next week. I think Chris is nodding. We have enough. I mean, literally half of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, How dare you? So uh, we'll be sort of back next week and fully back the following week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.